Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. And rejoining us tonight, he is of course the writer and director of A Ghost Waits. You also know him from the Gremlins 2 episode of this show. It's Adam Stovall. Adam, hello. I am glad to be here for what I'm sure will be diminishing returns. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. There's no way my science project matches up to Gremlins 2. Well, um, I think that's fair. I think there's a fair amount to discuss, but uh, it's certainly yeah. not the embarrassment of riches that Gremlins 2 is. When we were talking about me coming back, I was like trying to think of what I could talk about. And I'm not a very nostalgic person, so I don't mm-hmm. think about movies from my youth very often. Okay. Uh-huh. And then for whatever reason, I just I was like, oh, you know what movie like I loved when I was a kid and have not seen in at least 20 years? my science project <laughs> right okay see because i remember that you, you dropped in a couple of things and i was like yeah. he's going he's going a little bit off book here um mm-hmm. and a lot of the time obviously the things that people do pick are kind of like nostalgia but it's that rabid nostalgia when it's like somebody picks something they got into when they were 10 and then they watch like three times a year after that so mm. yeah going back to it after like 20 years so obviously yes you have picked my science project from 1985 so tell us a bit about that and maybe why it spoke so much to you when you were younger. I, I'm not sure that I want to really examine that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, it was kind of this moment of, like, why did this mean so much? And I think it's just when you're, when you're little. I mean, this was 1985, so I would have been, I probably saw that, I was, like, probably eight when I saw this uh, for the first time, seven or eight. It's just, it's such an 80s movie. <laughs> it has that kind of lethargic pacing and stuff just kind of <laughs> happens. Not everything has to make sense. And the adults, like, except for one, like aren't even really a factor. And I just remember being a kid and thinking about what it was to be an adult. And all I knew was that like you have a lot of keys and usually a briefcase <laughs> and you go away and then the kids have their own adventures. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, we've had a, we've had a couple of those lately. Things like brain scan and stuff like that, when they've had to like remove the adults from the equation, and it's always just a voicemail being like, "Hey, son, sorry, I'm gonna be away for a few more days doing business on this business trip. I'll see you in a few days when I'm done doing business." It's a thing I like about Stranger Things is that you know the kids have their '80s movie adventure, but then like it's you know, it's like, well, why isn't the mom around? It's like, oh, because she's having a nervous breakdown because her yep. child is missing. Like, yep. oh, that that's a good reason for her not to be around for this. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, before we start, I just want to flag up, by the way, that it was now 14 months ago that you were on the show for the first time. In this room, in this very room that, I, that I'm sitting yeah. in now. Yeah. yeah, in this room solely now occupied by Andy. You are still, I to, miss this it day, so much. to this day, the last person 
that we have had on the show in person. I really wanted to be the first one to be in there after this all ends, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, uh, well, I mean, let's see how long Glasgow stays locked down for. You know, <laughs> dream big. Like it might happen. <laughs> um, uh, right, Adam, you know what's coming, or at least I hope you do. For the benefit of anyone who is uh, listening to this that has not seen my science project, how are you feeling about a thirty-second synopsis? Let's do it, Andy. We got thirty seconds on the clock. Yes. <laughs> okay. Not the sure thing. I'm used to it. Being. No, okay. No. Right. Three, two, one, go. A high school student who really loves working on cars and doesn't seem to love anything else has to make a science project for the science fair at his school. He wants to just bring in an engine that he's rebuilt. But Dennis Hopper, the magnificent man that he is, was, and will ever be, is the science teacher who says, no, I'm challenging you. So he goes and steals something from a former Air Force base that now just seems to sit on the edge of town in darkness. And he finds a little machine that has a glowing orb in the middle and figures, Time. this looks like, yep. <laughs> yep. Fair, fair, absolutely fair. <laughs> I enjoyed the dead stop. Um, hey, I'm playing your game, man. These are your rules, not mine. Yeah, actually, it's very noble of you to not just batter on past Andy shouting time because that's what everybody else does. I appreciate um, it personally. Oh, because no. everyone tunes in for the 30 second synopses on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if somebody does it wrong, most people get outraged and turn it off. I mean, I feel bad enough that I'm at not actually like drinking alcohol. I just have a lot of work to do. So <laughs> I can't actually get drunk on this one. It's not, it's not, it's not quite as socially acceptable, I guess, for you right this second. Yeah, Mitch, you seem to be doing the work for us all, though. <laughs> yep happy with it the fifth bowl of wine is well stocked um i appreciate you mitch that's <laughs> all i've ever wanted to hear right so we kick off in 1957 here yeah we sure do um, with president eisenhower <laughs> <laughs> he's like dra- yeah. he's like dragged out oh. in the middle of the night in his pajamas to this fucking airbase in the middle of nowhere to like deal with this i, I, I guess it's a kind of roswell-esque alien craft crash yeah. The first thing that hit me about this was that I did I did I did a little bit of reading about this film uh before I watched it. And my understanding was that it was largely pitched as kind of being like a capery kids film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, presumably there will be like a fun alien presence in this. And then as soon as President Eisenhower arrives, he's somberly informed that two alien bodies were hauled from the wreckage or whatever <laughs> it was that landed. <laughs> Well, I, I read a, a piece of trivia that said apparently they did build like alien puppets for the start of it, but they were just they were never used. So, or if they were shot, they were never. It was. You know, it's the jaw solution. Just can't show the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> they look terrible. Can't do it. <laughs> uh, something you didn't touch on. This was our first viewing for me. Oh yeah, what? we didn't get into that. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was the first viewing for me, but they all are. So yeah. So have you even heard of this before? No, no. This kind of came out like when you came to me and said Adam suggested my science project. I was like, all right, give me a minute. Off to IMDb I went, and I thought, right, much as with Teen Witch, I feel like this is a kind of gamble. Like this is kind of skirting the edges of what we would normally allow. But mm-hmm. uh, we we've decided to. Allow you that. should hear the other ones I recommended. They were even farther across. Oh, I saw Joe, <laughs> Joe versus the volcano, Adam. Quantum of Solace. I'm oh so yeah, proud of that one. Come on. I, I think that was the one that I just politely pretended didn't exist. Quantum of yeah, Solace. Yeah, you said nothing. As right up there as a suggestion for me. 
anyway, like with when Sam Ashhurst suggested we do Batman versus Superman, the new one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Huh. It's up there with as preposterous an idea as Quantum of Solace. I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but like I really came to horror very late, so I don't really have the like backlog of ridiculous shit that everyone else does. Same. Yeah. But here we are talking about my science project. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, and President Eisenhower, <laughs> President Eisenhower is uh, is going scorched earth on this. Get rid of it, he says. Chronology hop. Love it. Clearly delineated as well. Twenty eight years, but in nineteen eighty five. Yeah. 38 years. 28 years. Yeah. 28 years. We're in 1985. Now, Mitch, do you know yes. anything about the director of this film? Uh, no, not a single thing. Not even their name. <laughs> Jonathan R. Batool. Yeah, now this guy wrote The Last Starfighter, which I don't know if either of you have seen. I have. It's an absolute corker. It was, like, it was one that I used to just yeah. rent constantly and watch constantly. He also directed Theodore Rex. Have you seen that with Whoopi Goldberg? Nope. Basically, Whoopi no, Goldberg's friends with a giant anthropomorphized dinosaur who kind of pals about with her. And he also directed a couple of Freddy's Nightmares. He's had an interesting career. Okay, yeah. yeah. When we kind of join this in the air quotes present day, the first character we really meet is uh, Professor Bob Roberts. <laughs> yeah. A talking point to say the least of it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> a fresh from rehab, Dennis Hopper. I love that he's just Dennis Hopper. He may have the name of a Tim Robbins character in the 90s, <laughs> but <laughs> but he's he's just Dennis Hopper. Just, hey, man, you know, okay, like, be, be really groovy if you all come to the science fair. Like, love him so much. Just, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and honestly, like, one of the few real genuine, like, bits of flavor in this movie. Like, mm. most of the cast is just, like, animated mannequins. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, to be real. Uh, you know, like, the guy... I, I have no idea if he ever did anything else. The guy who's, like, the, the lead in this. But, like, yeah, Dennis Hopper shows up. Fisher Stevens kind of has the same thing, where, like, he's just in from Greece. You know, yeah. just like, I'm a 50s kid in the 80s. I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll get to Fisher Stevens. Yeah. Uh, and, and his performance in this film. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, that guy, the main guy you were talking about, John Stockwell, who plays Michael, he was in Christine. He was one of the, the lead guys in John Carpenter's Christine. You know I've never seen Christine. Well, you should, because it's really quite I good. Yeah. It's John um, Carpenter and Stephen King. I should see that. Yeah, I, I, think... I don't know what I've been doing with my life, man. <laughs> I, I only saw it when I watched the Sharpwaves 100. I think it took me that long to see it. But yeah, no, it is good. But yeah, but, uh, as you say, uh, Michael Harlan, John Stockwell's character, uh, who we also meet here because we are talking about the upcoming uh, science project, and he is kind of evasive when Mr. Roberts asks him what his project's about. And at this point, we learn that he's a capable student, but he isn't focusing on his studies because he's working double shifts at that goddamn garage. That's right. We learn early on, like, the first time we meet him, that he cares more about engines than he does people. What not there, like, an actual line, why can't girls be like engines? Yeah, why can't women be? Why can't girls be like cars? He said he laments yeah. later on. <laughs> I mean, like speaking of like why does this movie loom large? Like when I think about the stuff that I watched when I was a kid, I <laughs> I'm very aware that like I could have been an incel had things gone a little differently. And when I look at like <laughs> the films of the '80s, like women were were not actual characters; they were just like the trappings of plot. 
yeah. and the interaction with the male characters. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely feel like I had to like unwire that from my brain at some point because, uh, yeah. Well, Kate, yeah, uh, that's that's not a comfortable realization, but like watching, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is why I had no idea how people work. Eh, well, yeah. kind of in the yeah. early running of this film, when you when you meet the character of Ellie relatively soon, at first I was like, oh, this is a kind of interesting character. She's intelligent. She's got aspirations of being a journalist. She seems like she's got some like agency about her. And then pretty quickly she's like, oh, uh, I'm I'm willing to help you if you give me a date. And I'm just like, oh no. No, she's just there to serve this male character. Yeah. Okay. And the worst date. <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> Let's go to a junkyard, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but before we even get there, I mean, we have to see Michael getting broken up with by Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's a that's a sad moment. Basically, uh, he has he's, he has to remove his uh, Crystal license plate from the front of his beloved car. Yeah, this is also the second time in two minutes that we realize that everything else that happens in his life he is distracted from by cars. Yeah. Because, like, literally in the scene before this, Dennis Hopper is like, you would be an excellent student if it wasn't for automobiles. And then Crystal was like, you'd be a great boyfriend if it wasn't for automobiles. Ergo, goodbye. <laughs> uh, because Cosmo's uh, romantoscope has directed her to breaking up with him. <laughs> you know, I don't want to judge him too harshly, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know, the, like later on, we 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 meet his father and his mm-hmm. father's new girlfriend, and you know, I I wouldn't say that the treatment of female characters gets better with age in this movie, mm-hmm. but um, you know, his mom is clearly dead. Yeah, and yeah, like one can imagine him just like not even mourning, <laughs> just like he came home one day and she wasn't there, and he's like, all right, well I gotta fix this engine. <laughs> or another, another perhaps sadder way to look at that is that he got over the tragic loss of his mother by losing himself. Oh, there we go. Automobiles. That's so much better. Uh, I'm just installing that as being canon. I'm happy with it. That's what he did. By the yeah. way, it's important we mention the stakes here because Bob Roberts does tell him, look, no science project, no diploma. So that is the, that's your stakes in play right there. That's but true. then later yeah. on, doesn't he say you're, you're getting D's? Because he was like, that sounds great. <laughs> then, like, that means I pass. Yeah, that's perfect. Why is, um, uh, why is yeah. Bob Roberts no, huffing right. oxygen? Because it's Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason in the scene. He just has oxygen, so why not huff it? Maybe they just, <laughs> they just filmed Dennis Hopper huffing oxygen. I mean, the oxygen was there. What else was he going to do? He's just an actor making choices, man. <laughs> um, uh, we do meet Elliot around this time, let's say, who is uh, kind of becomes the love interest in this. And the way that all that stuff is handled isn't perfect, um, which we'll get to. But um, what I think is interesting, though, is that so she tries to like interview him for the yearbook. Mm-hmm. And then she's basically like, oh, if you don't do an interview, I'm going to run a story about you being broken up with by Crystal. And I was like, is this the yearbook or the paper? Did your yearbook not have articles? <laughs> it just seems like yeah, by the time they come out, no one cares anymore. It's like it's like a year in review for all the power couples that broke up and got together over the over like, like the year. Michael's like, I don't care about this now. I'm not going to care about this in a year. <laughs> but yeah, she asks him, uh, and again, it's just like he answers all the questions with car-related answers. Apart from, he does also mention that he likes Bruce Springsteen. But I would say in the cars to Springsteen kind of like scale, to the ratio is about 90-10. Pamela Springsteen, yes. Bruce's sister's in this film. Um, she also plays Angela in the Sleepaway Camp sequels. 
Ah, okay. I knew I knew that name from somewhere. That'll be it. So we meet Ellie here, like I say, and yeah, she comes across kind of like bookish, but also, yeah, this kind of like aspirational kind of would-be journalist and all this kind of thing. We also meet, is it Sherman? Sherman, yeah, yeah. He is, like, he, yeah. He, I guess he's got a kind of, he holds a torch for Ellie. And he, he, he kind of tries to get his revenge on Michael later. And then by the end of the film, they're all best pals. By aligning with ruffians. Or uh, the Empire's weekend party, like, because they're all dressed like Stormtroopers and Darth Vader. It's like yeah. Darth Vader, the college years. <laughs> uh, if we're talking about potential incel characters in this, I would say that the shortest line of causation uh, between a character and inceldom is Sherman. For sure. Oh, Sherman has definitely shot from a clock tower. <laughs> like Sherman is a broken person. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, get, I get the impression that if they made a My Science Project two that was set twenty years later, if we were catching up with them, it would not be good news. No. It would make for grim reading. The high school reunion takes a detour into the Silence of the Lambs prison hallway. Sherman's the one that jerks off and throws it. <laughs> See, we're gonna make this a much more interesting movie. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel like it's already getting there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ellie kind of she. So we have this weird scene where uh, Ellie has something wrong with her car, and Michael fixes it, and we realize that she's kind of done it herself. Yeah. So she can have this chance to talk to him, which she was doing a minute ago. But then she was like, "Can you find me a date? Uh, because I don't want to get voted class spinster in the yearbook." I was like, "You seem to hold a position of not insignificant influence in the yearbook hierarchy. You could rig that vote for sure." Yeah. Now hold on a second. Here in America, we do not do that. <laughs> this is <laughs> not to be topical, guy. <laughs> we respect our dem- democratic process and would never do something like that. I'm not the class spinster, regardless of what the MSM tells you. <laughs> Although, actually, I was voted most talented in my class but i didn't actually get it because the girl who was voted most talented refused to take a picture with me <laughs> no way seriously oh, uh, so she did like plays at the school and was like a big part of the forensics team and everything and i was part of a theater troupe that wasn't school affiliated i was it was more of a regional thing and so, like, we never acted together. We never did any of that stuff together. And so she was, of course, a, like, really wired into everybody there. And so she said, well, I don't think Adam should get it because he doesn't do school stuff. So it went to J.J. Uh, Schaefer is his name. Yeah, J.J., where are you now? Who knows? But I <laughs> That's your name on an Arrow video release, J.J. <laughs> So Michael tells Ellie to come to his house later, um, which she agrees to. Before she does that, we do meet um, Michael's dad, who is doing his best to move on from the presumable loss of his wife. And we do meet Dolores, who appears to be both the love interest for the dad, and that's about all she is, and also an anachronistic Southern Belle. Yes, yes, she's straight out of kind of 1920s Savannah. Where do we think this movie happens? There seems to be a lot of kind of desert mountainous terrain. I don't know. I don't know. You're probably a better place to... I mean, Roswell's uh, New Mexico, Mexico, so I feel like Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico is probably a fair... Like ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, when when she was like curtsying and being like, it's 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 delightful to make your acquaintance and all this, was like, oh, bye. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, you know, you kind of get the impression that like, hey, meet, uh, meet Dolores. And I think he calls her like Louise or something. And it's just like, yeah, like dad kind of cycles through girlfriends 
which is which makes it like so much so much better when like the next time you see her it's like meet your new mom we're married hey <laughs> it was a it was a good tuesday it's <laughs> incredible the way that he breaks that news as well he'll get to it but he just goes upstairs and he's like you will come downstairs and socialize with your new stepmom and just slams the door <laughs> Mitch, um, I, I, I can't let you proceed because there's a fair amount of stuff happens here, but you haven't even touched on Vinny. <laughs> yeah, he's he's somewhere in the mix, uh, somewhere in the mix of everything in the first twenty minutes or so. Yeah, um, Vinny sashays into the cleaning. Uh, Fisher Stevens here. Uh, yeah, Vinny, uh, affable sidekick. Vinny, affable sidekick, <laughs> uh, Italian stereotype. I don't know. I feel like Fisher Stevens has kind of become this master of dodgy cultural appropriation like round about this period because here he is he, I don't believe he's Italian in any way he comes he's trying to play this tough guy character and it just doesn't work at all which performance in this movie do you believe that's the question oh Christ <laughs> I mean Dennis Hopper but... I think I have to believe Richard Mazur's character is uh oh yeah is uh, Jack McNulty or Jack Nolte who is credited as Isidore Nolte by the way, which is oh, yeah. completely bizarre. But yeah, between this and Short Circuit, I just feel like there must be things in his career he looks back on and goes, oh, I don't know if I handled the, that as well as I could have. Cultural appropriation wasn't a term in 1985, though. But Very still, true. you can't do you know, Andy, as recently as 1995, I spoke with an Italian accent in a primary school Christmas play, and I still think that that might be what ends up getting me cancelled. What did you do? I played a music teacher called Vittorio Vivace and spoke with an Italian accent when I was 10. Can I, uh, can we hear a bit of Vittorio Vivace? Uh, no, but I will, I'll, I'll see if the footage is anywhere. What play is this? I will find out. I've actually forgotten the name of it, but um, I'm pretty sure that I was like, I'm pretty sure that I was teaching Santa to sing. This is a conversation we can have. Oh no. What like the it... hell is going on in Scotland oh, at no. Christmas? Jesus. In 1995. <laughs> um, I, I, will, I, I will get more information. I, I, like, it's, it's around then. I, I, I will get the title and the synopsis. Can, I, can I ask, did you go for the re- a real Super Mario style of Italian accent? I do not think that it was like a particularly sensitive portrayal of the Italian accent. Quite broad. Hey, Santa. <laughs> <laughs> like pretty much that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. More on that in the minisode on Monday. Oh obviously. my god, yeah. this is amazing. I will find some info. I thought, oh God, I can't believe I just offered that information. Hundreds of episodes in, and look, we're still learning things. This is it. Yeah, Adam, we know your yearbook picture story. I've told you about my cultural appropriation in the 90s of when I portrayed an Italian music teacher. <laughs> Everyone's got a past. Andy, balls in your court. What are you going to confess to? As yeah, we proceed this is... through this, I'm sure there's something that I can drop in. Um... Yeah, I mean, like, like, Andy, the onus is on you now to confess something. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, Ellie and Michael head out for their date uh, where they break into a military boneyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, classic first date manoeuvre. For a romantic um, wander between the skeletons of helicopters. <laughs> He's such a romantic cliche, this guy, isn't he? The entire time, she's just like, what are you doing? What are we, why are we going over here? I mean, that's not her voice, but... <laughs> no, you're right, though. I remember th- I remember thinking that as well. It's like she's either, like, sassing him or, like, air quotes, nagging him the entire time that they're there. He does fall through the floor, or the ground at some point yeah. and discovers this fallout shelter. And just to kind of like, I guess to race to the conclusion of this part, he 
finds this strange piece of equipment, which we will come to know as the gizmo, and manages to get that in his possession before they're kind of like herded off the property by a night watchman. I see what you've done here, Adam. Twice you've been on the show, twice we have characters called gizmo. <laughs> there it is. That's all I want. That's all I wanted. No, it is like, it's such a wonderful, like, because <laughs> you get down there and there's immediately this, like, weird glowy light mm. and he's just like nope don't see that do 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 i'm in a dark room and there's one source of light i'm not gonna look at that and yep. he just looks around and you know and then like he like oh there is a glowy light thing and this looks interesting and not dangerous in any way i'll I like throw the, it around <laughs> I, I like the idea of him coming down and seeing that first and going mm, too obvious <laughs> <laughs> way to be on the nose air force so when they get back out uh to the car his car breaks down is this a result of the gizmo interacting with his car or is this a coincidence Uh, yeah yeah yeah. because it also zaps the uh the flash the flashlights yeah right 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 right. kind of like absorb i think it absorbs kind of nearby power it says a lot about my knowledge of cars that i was entertaining the notion that that was coincidental and your lack of knowledge of intergalactic gizmos honestly man Movies have to have an internal consistency if they expect you to honor the idea of an internal consistency. It's fine to think it's a coincidence. Okay, I appreciate that. That's very vindicating. So his car breaks down. He's obviously kind of like mortified by this, which I think is harsh. You know, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm the guy who knows everything about cars. If my car breaks down, it's embarrassing. That's not how that works. I feel he's incredibly hard on himself. He is very hard on himself. Yeah. It's also like the only. It's like how he defines Hello? himself is. Like I'm the guy who like does car who like does car shit. So if I can't make a car work, what am I? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's his thing, isn't it? Like it's his one thing that he's kind of anchored himself to. It's quite sad in a way. I'm increasingly becoming amenable to this theory that he just kind of like threw himself into this 100 percent off the back of his mother dying, though. Especially if he goes on to being Christine, then like possibly he has imbued the spirit of his mother into a car, and <laughs> that is how we get to the thing. I mean, love it. Let's okay. go, guys. Let's get metatextual. If there's, like, honestly, if there's one thing I love, it's suggesting that something gets rebooted as a Netflix miniseries. If there's two things that I love, it's positing that things exist in the same universe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to do that again. Um, yeah, when the car breaks down, uh, he calls Vinny, and uh, we get a look at Vinny's car. And I think, like, you know, like, um, Michael is the car guy in this, but Vinny's car is a hell of a piece of kit. Vinny's obviously pretty handy with cars himself because just about any time you see these two together, they are working on some kind of car or some engine bit or something like that. I mean, I obviously know as much about cars as you do, much engine bits. As a child, I loved the fixture of Vinny's car that he pushes a button and a middle finger comes up. I <laughs> yeah. loved that. Yeah, I, I really like that as well. I feel like that's such a, like, fun unnecessary detail also yeah. what a friend like he's just about to have sex with that cindy lopper lookalike girl reenie reenie thank you and he yeah. puts all that aside to go and rescue his buddy like that's uh, i mean i know a lot of guys who wouldn't who wouldn't do that yeah and i mean and i mean she's not happy about it she ultimately in the fullness of time leaves which is also an understandable position to take <laughs> well, and, you know, Vinny knows that his friend is going through a difficult time with his mom and isn't really processing it very well, so he wants to be there for him. Oh my god. This is like my Kobayashi ceramics moment for this film. Like, it's like genuinely, it's just this causal line of just answering all of my questions. <laughs> Everything seems to have Some movies out. aspire to logic, and some movies have logic thrust upon them. <laughs> <laughs> 
as it turns out, this was probably the best day ever because Ellie's completely won over and charmed by Michael. Like this, this just worked out perfectly for her. Yeah, she's had a lovely time. Such a uh, condemnation of the men that she has in her life that that is good. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the gold standard was before, doesn't it? Sherman. 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 Yeah. <laughs> who is who is who is really gross, by the way? Because he's he's like in amongst the guys who are like who like see uh, Michael's car breaking down. Mm. But then like him and his like cronies that are with him see the fact that Ellie's there as well, and he's like, "Oh, I thought that you had dibs on Ellie." I was like, "Oh God." Mm. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of things we didn't know about the eighties. <laughs> quality being very high on the list. <laughs> yep. Yep. Very nice scene, <laughs> by the way. Classroom scene. Vinny's in there smoking a fucking cigar in the classroom. Who does he think he is? The 80s were a hell of a drug, Andy. <laughs> is, is, that, um, is, is, that, is that Dennis Hopper's classroom? I, I don't think it is. I don't think actually. so, because it doesn't have like those like that bleacher-style seating. Yeah, that's true, because I, I, I kind of feel like there could be more of a prevailing anything-goes mentality in Dennis Hopper's classroom, but in any other one, I think that, I think that like everybody, it would, be too, it would be too establishment, or be too anti-establishment. I, I mean, clearly we're almost to finals. The semester's almost <laughs> over. The teacher's given up. They're showing a movie. Smoke them if you got Cigar is one of the most unsociable things you can smoke. Like they fucking stink. Yeah, aggressively. Yeah. Like rooms away. You're like, what is? Yeah. <laughs> so we do we do get a little bit more about the gizmo at this point because while they're at the garage, uh, Michael and Vinny are kind of scoping this thing out, and while they're wiping it down, Michael accidentally activates it. It zaps Vinny's boombox, much to his chagrin. Sure. Uh, understandably, he just newly replaced the batteries, and they don't work. Fuck. <laughs> So Michael, having just seen it, apropos nothing, zap an electrical appliance into disuse, uh, then suggests that they hook it to a car battery. Mm-hmm. Of the list of uh, of the list of possible outcomes, it manifesting an Egyptian vase was low on my list of theories. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. And enough. an axe. And a big Don't axe. Don't forget about the axe. That like the last shot of that scene is an axe sticking out of the wall. Yeah, yeah really something. Really something. So we know something's going on. Yeah. At this point, I still think, like, something in the abstract. Not necessarily, I would say, at this point, anything malevolent or evil, demonstrably. Right. I don't even think the machine is malevolent or evil. It just opens up time, and, like, you get what you get. Yeah, yeah see, we'll get to this. But, yes. um, but as we get towards the kind of third act of this, I have questions about the stakes. <laughs> Okay, there, uh-huh. is a, there is a moment in my notes, as I recall, where I, I have written some... I think it's round about the time that they are racing the power lines. Um, I, I, I think I touched on at that point. I was like, I feel like the stakes are high here, but I've got no idea what the stakes actually are. Right! Mm-hmm. We have, a, we have a, a kind of inevitably, when you're trying to find something out about something, you have to have a scene where everyone goes to a library. Which happens. Uh, Sherman, as the librarian, understandably annoyed, I think, actually, when they turn up and it's like, uh, we need to find a book. And it's like, a which car book, book are you looking for? And it's like, a book about phenomena. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even at this point, you start to see, like, you can see that the power is kind of cutting in and out. Um, I'm also going to posit a, uh, a theory that uh, Vinny is a bully. Yeah. Because he spends, because he, thre- he threatens Sherman yeah. with physical violence literally every time that he talks to him, and the only other thing that we see him do apart from interact with Michael is like throw a guy, out, like literally take a guy from a payphone and throw him into a bush. I yeah. don't believe a second of that in Fisher Stevens' performance. I don't think he has the physicality 
Oh. I don't think he has the frame. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I, I just. Oh I... no, the character is a bully. Fisher Stevens is not. <laughs> right, that, fair, fair. <laughs> but I, I, I just don't buy for a minute that this character yeah. is a threat. I, I would have actually liked to have seen a few more chinks in Vinny's armor. Um, He's very much a nerd's idea of a bully. Of just like, oh, hey, okay. get out of here! Hey, yeah, I'm walking here. Awful. I'm walking here. I literally wrote down that he was like, if I'm walking here, trope from Rick and Morty became a person. <laughs> Did you Maybe. say I'm walking here is from Rick and Morty, not Midnight Cowboy? Yeah, I yeah, was about. Like, I, like, I don't know what like, it. I don't know why like, I do like, that. Like, c- c- come on, I- I- Adam. Like, look, you both know me pretty well at this point. You know what the parameters of my knowledge are. Give me a fucking break, Mitch. I will never stop demanding more. <laughs> Gates, you know what? It's the only way I'll learn. <laughs> Everybody seems to be kind of like have a decent level of like a decent reserve of knowledge about the gizmo and how it works. Because um, when Sherman is kind of like trying to help them find a book and they explain a little bit about what they're looking for. And Sherman's like, well, clearly what you're describing is a time space warp. Yes. And it's like, uh, and it's like, yeah, I can probably provide you some materials, but uh, man should not play God in this way. Play him with fire. Um, and <laughs> as this advances, like, because I think almost the next thing that happens, well, not immediately the next thing, because we find out that they've missed their final exam. Uh, because they've like inexplicably lost two hours of time. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Mr. Roberts tells them to come back in the evening. Well, Michael says to him, look, I've got this thing. I am thinking about entering it as my science project. Is there any way you could just put eyes on it and maybe give me a little bit of direction here? And he's like, hey, man, I got to go to an anti-war protest <laughs> in 1985. I'll be back at nine o'clock. You should go <laughs> to school then. <laughs> But yeah, like um, the only thing that happens in between here is we find out that Dolores and uh, Michael's dad have gotten married. That's right. But they take the gizmo to uh, Mr. Roberts at this point, who also has like some incredibly outlandish theories to posit about what's going on. Yeah, I think that Dennis Hopper's incredible here. He's just a, this is a masterclass of over-the-top acting. Yep. The whole thing is obviously kind of like, has this kind of like baseline silliness. But I feel like what? He is the one that feels like he's in a different film from everybody else in the best possible way. <laughs> I think that's intentional, especially like when we get to the end of the film and he comes back from the sixties and he's dressed, oh, yeah. he's dressed like his character and he's your either. Uh, I feel like that's very deliberate. Yeah, I was asked this morning like what I thought made a great movie, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know what? I think it's harmony. Like when the when the the performances and the cinematography and the music and all, like every, when everything's kind of working of a piece, like that's when like that's a great cinema. That's great cinema, and uh, but like this is really a testament to like disharmony and how wonderful it can be. It's just like <laughs> everyone's in a different movie. No one's <laughs> you know, no one's on the same page. The cinematographer was not on set <laughs> I, love, I love the idea of you being like i thought like earlier on today being like what makes a great film is harmony now if you'll excuse me i need to go and extol the virtues of my science project <laughs> i hadn't really thought about how this how specifically terrible this is <laughs> or what or like the specific way in which terrible becomes fun yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah i mean like, like yeah like that's 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 our bread and butter Right, yeah, of course. But yeah, Bob Roberts starts throwing around theories. He says this is some kind of engine. He says it's older than Earth. He uh, plugs it into a power supply and then uh, immediately posits that it is the work of aliens. He also says that it might facilitate travel through time and space. Um, He's he's absolutely right. And 
every one of those predictions. Like, he's an incredibly learned man about the various abstract concepts that are floating around this thing, because he does get every absolutely every last thing right. Before he disappears to, like, at this point, parts unknown, mm-hmm. the, like, speech that he gives when he's being like, you have no idea what you're dealing with here kind of thing, that's my favourite moment in the film. Like, when he, like when he's, like, kicking off before he disappears is so incredibly compulsively watchable. When he's, like, waving his hands around and he's got, like, energy beams attached to the ends of his fingers and all that. Yes, <laughs> yes. I feel like that was, like, the perfect kind of coalescing of all the elements of this that I like into one moment. I think that, like, if I was picking one, it would be that. You mentioned earlier, like, the Netflix miniseries. Now it's like, oh, it needs to be the Bob Roberts story. Like, like what happened that, like, allowed him, that, like, prepared him for this moment? And then what happened after it? It's like It's easily the most fascinating part. It's like the most, could you imagine that headline? You know, Netflix Greenlight 10-part miniseries reboot (laughs) of My Science Project shot from Bob Roberts' perspective. (laughs) Obscure 1985 sci-fi quasi-kids actioner. Yep, like given long-awaited gritty reboot. (laughs) I mean, someone out there would be like, finally, this is my moment. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, like, like all of those things are like the thing that one person's life has been has been building to, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to blow past this without acknowledging the fact that he literally he just like disappears into thin air at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Dennis Hopper's character. The power to the box is getting stronger. I, I think that the fact that this is evidenced by that you see lights flickering on a larger scale than before is fine. Uh, yeah. I somehow thought there was more and less build up in this movie. Like when I thought about it, like. Like, it's such a weird pacing but like yeah it is just like booping and bopping along for you know a while and then suddenly like shit just gets real yeah i i, <laughs> I, I think that the the boopery and boppery that you're discussing there probably takes up about 55 minutes of the runtime yeah yeah like, and, the, and then shit gets real and the characters are just like well i'm not ready for this yet <laughs> so they just like he goes home <laughs> well, he goes, he goes home thinking he's maybe he's maybe kind of managed to like sort things out. But at this moment in time, like the box is just kind of humming and thrumming, and it's been a very kind of isolated incident where Dennis Hopper's character has been sucked away into, uh, like you said, much parts unknown. But then they come up with this incredibly elaborate plan that what they need to do is knock out all the power in the entire state because of this very isolated incident in this one room. <laughs> they have to like destroy the the power supply to a whole city. See, this this was the point where I felt like the film was because we've talked a little bit about stakes and where we are with them, and I think that this was the point where I was like, I feel like this film is trying to foist high stakes onto a low stakes situation. Yeah, yeah. As yeah, we yeah. understand, as we understand it to be, because I understand that teacher disappearing into thin air is quite a big deal. But I think that, like, we need to procure dynamite and blow up the power lines is a knee-jerk reaction at best to that. Their ability Which is to... a wonderfully teenage thing. That's a great point. You know, yeah. big high stakes for low stakes, yeah. Their yeah, ability um... to find dynamite at short notice is quite remarkable. Yeah, it's pretty great. I actually think that, um, uh, Adam, what you said there about, um, kind of like, yeah, it's teenagers, so their worldview is that it's high stakes when it's low stakes. Yeah. I mean, like, that actually reminds me of spoilers for It Follows incoming. But um, I remember an interview that I read with David Robert Mitchell um, after It Follows came out, and it was about part of that film where the kids try to defeat the, like, entity by tricking it into a swimming pool and electrocuting it. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think that, like, the interviewer, the line of questioning was, it's like, 
even within the kind of like internal logic of the film, that seems implausible. And he's like, they are 15. What would you have done? And it's like, yeah. yep, fine. I was like, that's like almost like, it's like simultaneously a little bit of a cop out and also totally unimpeachable. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> in this film though, it's more personified than in It Follows because what we have is a very clear skipping energy source jumping from pylon to pylon while they race it in this incredibly souped up car. Yeah, I, th- I think this is the crystallization of my high stakes, low stakes thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Andy, obviously, you said that this was the point where you started kind of asking questions about what the stakes were as well. Yeah, because we haven't really seen, apart from a vase and a man disappearing, we don't really know really what's like what's happening or what the this device's powers are, what damage it can wreak, if really any. So it, it does seem a bit of a, a knee-jerk reaction to, like like I say, to blow up the power supply to a whole town. Mitch, I don't want to depress you, but I've learned at this point, like when I'm on a podcast talking about a movie, I should leave the IMDb up so that I can quickly access things because I always get annoyed when I like, can't think of a name or when I'm listening to a podcast and they can't think of a name. Uh-huh. And so as we're talking well, about this, I just had this happening? random thought. Okay. Because I'm looking at the top, and it's rated six stars out of ten, my science Strong? project is. Sturdy. Sturdy. Yeah. This movie is rated higher than our film, Mitch. <laughs> 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 so, I didn't want to live alone in that knowledge. <laughs> you know, you know, Adam, let's check again in 20 years. Let's check yeah. again in 20 years. Yeah. That's you know. fine. I so feel a bit uncomfortable this... that I've had to witness this. we absolutely can't cut this out because everyone else has to share the moment and feel awkward about it as well yeah um (laughs) this plan of uh, blowing things up with dynamite works it causes a blackout and ostensibly stops the machine at least briefly um they come back home to the disappointing news that the police are investigating the power lines incident which i think is fair enough because it is kind of scutting around the parameters of domestic terrorism and the disappearance of flaky school teacher bob roberts yes now (laughs) I want to touch on something really quickly here, right? Because like we get more embers of romance between uh, Michael and Ellie at this point. The cementing now, of romance, Mitch. They have a kiss. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what we've said about the fact that Ellie starts out as being this kind of like very motivated, very academic, very kind of like career-driven character who very quickly dissolves into this kind of like romance B-story cliche, and I think that that is true. One 80s trope that this film swerves that I think like is kind of to its credit is that the fact that he kind of like comes off as this kind of traditional cool guy, mm-hmm. she comes off as a kind of traditional nerd in the way that these films put these characters in boxes. Mm. And I remember thinking that I was like, because my assumption was that this would be a kind of like, you know, like a dreadful, she takes her glasses off and undoes her ponytail, she's all that thing. Got you, yeah. I was like, maybe that's the end game of this. And I quite like the fact that like, it doesn't look at the fact that in the language of these films from this era, putting those two together, they would have to justify that. Yeah. And I think that the fact that it's just like, once they once they become like this couple, it just <coughs> happens and nobody really questions it. And it just happens. And I think that that's probably like, I think that, I don't think that this film is ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. <laughs> I'd say but I think fair. that, I, I, but I think that the kind of like no frills handling of that is to its credit, considering it came out in 1985. Okay. I enjoy Mitch's allegorical corner. it's a new feature of the show kids god i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to write segment music for that um so we did talk briefly about detective jack nolte 
We did, Early yes, on. yes. The wonderful uh, Richard uh, Mazur from like Isidore Nolte. Isidore Nolte, yeah. Please get it right, Mitch. Uh, obviously from things like The Thing and uh, at 1990, things like that. So my um, girl, so is, of course, yeah, yeah. So Isidore Nolte, he's in the building when Michael gets back. He's come to uh, Michael's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had a conversation with Michael's dad, but at no point when he comes in does Michael's dad be like, here, word to the wise, there's a policeman in your room. Oh, Michael comes um, in the window and Nolte's, oh, Nolte's sitting in the dark like a fucking weirdo. Now, I think that this is hilarious because obviously he has turned up and like when that conversation starts, as if by magic, Michael's dad and Dolores appear at the door of the bedroom and Michael's dad is like, I cooperated as best I could, but he needed to talk to you. But I love the fact that what that conversation implies is I answered his questions to the best of my ability. He was also quite insistent about hiding in your room in the dark until you came home. <laughs> I'm just going to go hang out in your teenage son's bedroom for a while. I'll see you guys later. Have fun. I'm just going to check out his Born to Run poster. <laughs> no, no, no. I like sitting in the dark. Thank you. I need no drink. <laughs> he is smoking though uh, yeah, yeah. that would have been my first no. indicator when I climbed in my bedroom window to be honest I'd be like I smell cigar smoke so it's either Vinny oh, yeah. or uh, yeah. Persons Unknown can I fix you some tea? no <laughs> Isidore Nolte is all about the theatre terrible police officer though because when he goes to arrest Michael here and Michael's like look can I just quickly grab my jacket Nolte's like yeah sure Gives him enough time to make a protracted phone call. <laughs> sure, I trust you implicitly. I'll walk away. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, like, like, yeah, he gets arrested in connection with the disappearance of uh, Bob Roberts. Mm. And I think it is really funny when he's like, it's like, can I just grab my jacket? And he's like, well, what he's basically asking is, can I just indiscriminately disappear around this corner for two to three minutes? And he's like, yep, I'll be here. The thing is, it's the case before this where Isidore Nolte got into serious trouble because he was overstepping bounds. And so this is actually him course correcting from a previous case of like, <laughs> no, you're right. I should like, I should be more trusting. My wife always said that. <laughs> See, now I, want, now I want this 10 part Netflix series to be shot from the perspective of Isidore Nolte. Did you notice as well, Nolte's method of arrest is to roughly manhandle people by the back of their neck. Yeah, he's a yeah. cop. He does that to everyone, just like moves them along by the scruff of the neck. All cops are bastards, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I quite like the fact that that general ideology seems to be the backbone of Bob Roberts' entire worldview. Because like, the, like the one thing that we learned the most about him is that he fucking hates the police. Like that comes up like seven or eight times, and he's probably on screen for seven or eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. Ca- he talks about uh, there's a moment where they're like, maybe we should phone the police because this. Thing might be like dangerous and he's like no man you don't call no the cops man you don't call the pigs <laughs> i like the, I, I like the idea that dennis hopper was like i'll do your movie but <laughs> i want to inject want... some of my personal politics into it <laughs> i feel like bob roberts hates pigs <laughs> you imagine that now you know if it was like kevin sorbo or something it's like i'll do your film but i need to be wearing a maga hat <laughs> oh god so, yeah, like, the the phone call, because Michael basically just kind of gives himself his one phone call, but he just does it in his room when no one's looking. Um, and he phones Ellie and is like, here, what you need to do is bring the, uh, like, so go to the school, retrieve the gizmo, take it to the police station. She's like, okay, and she runs into Sherman when she does that. She does, yeah, and he, like an absolute asshole, 
plugs the fucking thing back in again. Yes. When he hooks the machine up again, I mean, admittedly, I mean, it serves a purpose because the blackout gives uh, Vinny and Michael the opportunity to get away. It does also open a massive vortex um, above the school. <laughs> so swings and roundabouts. Hey, you know, you take the good, you take the bad. <laughs> You take them both, and there you have. There you have my science project. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, like so, they get to the school. Sherman is hysterical about the consequences of his own actions. Yeah, he within like ten minutes, he has become absolutely unhinged. I mean, fair play to Sherman. I also would not expect the random machine to open up time and space. Fair. I too would be nonplussed. I don't know, a man of science like him, I guess. uh, He had a rough idea that this might be coming when two people who had no business coming to him talking about time and space. Uh, He must have seen this coming in some way. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Like, oh, I assume this is what's happening. Yeah, like if if the car had pulled up outside and he'd just been like, hey, just say I told you so. (laughs) And just motioning (laughs) towards the vortex. Sherman's like, oh, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, why, like, buckle in. I was not prepared at all for how the third act of this was going to unfold. Like, see, (laughs) when we got to, like, 20, 25 minutes from the end of this, and it was like, I guess if I was guessing things that I would see, I would not guess soldiers from the Vietnam War, Mm. like, incoherent screeching laser shooting mutants yep and a t-rex i'm gonna hold my hands up and admit that i would not readily have guessed any of those three things no you're probably right uh but they get to the school and they're almost immediately attacked by a neanderthal man uh which is dispatched pretty quickly there's a line here that i really liked when Vinny says one shot to the chones and he's down i had to go and look up what chones are and apparently it's from mexican and it means panties isn't there also like something about Barney Rubble? Yep, yeah, and in relation to the same the the same dying yeah. Neanderthal. I'm sorry, I'm like looking through the quotes on IMDb to try to find it, and I just found this primo line from Bob Roberts. <laughs> you guys cut my science final. What's with you guys? Where were you? Michael says we kind of got hung up in the auto shop. Vince says yeah, in the ozone. To which Bob Roberts says, "In the ozone, blow zone." I'm tired of you four Fs. Let me tell you something. Unless your project is Dino Supreme, you both get D's. Dino, Dino Supreme. Supreme. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Dino Supreme because we get one of them right here. Yeah, yeah, the original Dino Supreme, a T Rex. Yeah, don't mind this. <laughs> no one at ever all. expects the T Rex in the gym. Don't mind this at all. Have to tell you. <laughs> Yep. I, I mean, like, at this point, I mean, like, I don't care at all that you can see the seams on the budget where they're going this ambitious because it's right. so fun. Mm. Yeah. Like, like I just like I just remember thinking, I was like, I, I think that when this sequence started to the point where they're, like, facing off with a T-Rex in the gym hall, I was like, well. <laughs> but the, before this, by okay. the way, there's some, there's some pretty cool little character actor cameo things in here because you've got Michael Berryman plays one of the mutants. And you've also got Al Leong, who was in things like Die Hard, Big Trouble in Little China. He was Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was in Lethal Weapon. Like, wow, okay. He, he's one of the, the, the Viet Cong guys. So it's just uh, it's kind of cool to see these kind of guys popping up in there. That is cool. Andy, always, always bringing the preparation to the table. Trivia Corner is over for the moment. <laughs> As you were. You all scoffed at my science project. No. no. Look at this. The minute, <laughs> that, the minute that dinosaur walked in, I was like, 
this is what it's all about. I was like, yeah, no, no, like now you guys see. This is why I loved this movie as a kid. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. It, it it goes fucking nuts. Yeah. No. No. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so. I kind of feel like there is there is so much stuff that happens here that I don't want to just kind of like race through and cliff notes it, but also it's just like we've spoken about all the kind of like visual spectacles mm-hmm. that you get here, and that is pretty much what this is. It's just kind of like it's like one visual spectacle and a set piece after another, yeah. and that's oh, fine. Man. That's great. I've got another. I gr- thought you were gonna go through and like itemize it and try to explain what no. happens. No, the, <laughs> the only other bit of trivia that I'm about to offer right now actually ties us back into Gremlins too. Yes, because the alien characters that we see leaping about in here uh, are voiced by Frank Welker, who did the hey. voice of the Mohawk Gremlin. He was Stripe and Gremlins. He was Megatron and Fred and Scooby Doo and everything. We talk about Frank Welker on this show more than just about anyone else, Mitch. I, was say, I yeah. wish I could say that I did that on purpose. But the next time, the next time I will definitely present something that has a hidden Gremlins 2 connection. <laughs> yep, there we go. That's the, yeah, that's what, that's what we want. That's what we expect from now yeah. on. But yeah, no, Frank Welker, God, uh, Andy, our old pal Sarah will be delighted. Yeah. Getting another shit yeah. out. I mean, yeah. He's, um, the, he's the, the best voice character actor working. Yeah. So uh, Vinny is almost eaten in the face-off with the T-Rex. Ultimately is not. Mm. Um, they are subdued. They get the... Gizmo deactivated as the emergency services arrive, and this is the point where Bob. Ro- so we're kind of at the point where, like, like you know, the big bad has largely been defeated. Well, the uh, the actual mechanics of how they kind of dismantle this thing, like, it's, it feels like it's building up to something, and then kind of weirdly, nothing happens. Like, there's a moment where Michael's kind of sucked away into oblivion, and then I thought, oh my god, he's gone too. Is it, how's this going to resolve? How's he going to come back? Uh, yeah, his mom should have been there. Yeah, I, I really wanted them to come back as a baby. I like the idea that he had this like grand plan, and they were like, "Dude, we have a dinosaur. We don't have any money left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got your T Rex, John. We can't afford <laughs> a baby. It's like, no, it needs to end like two thousand and one. Come on, but, like it all kind of resolves without much incident. Yeah. It sharp right turns out of this like very ambitious third act just as abruptly as it sharply left turned into it. I mean, it's an '80s movie. You're lucky the camera's not pulling away with "It's in the way that you use it" plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Bob, Bob Roberts has come back. I want to ask a question mm-hmm. about Bob Roberts at this point. Yes. Um, yeah. So, like, we ask him, we ask him about where he's been, or, or like, we hear about where he's been, and he says that he's gone to anti-war rallies. And he's gone to Woodstock. Now, am I correct in saying that the Woodstock he we talking about was 1969? Yes. Uh, so he went back to 1969, we assume. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I've been to Woodstock. And I remember thinking, I was like, for somebody who has got such an interest in, like, activism and stuff like that, he could have, like, presumably he could have gone to any era. What do we think about the fact that Bob Roberts went to an era that he had already been alive for? I mean... I think the question is, could Bob Roberts control where he went? Yeah. Also true. I mean, it's very fortuitous for him, if he can, yeah. that he went tonight to one that was tailored to his exact specifications and such. And not just his exact specifications, but also his kind of tastes and likes, because it seems like he just went yeah. to a concert, went to a couple of anti-war rallies and took loads of drugs by his own admission. Like, that seems to be all he did on his jolly back to the 60s. 
And it's like, <laughs> Dennis, Dennis, we have this whole thing where you talk about going and like, experience like, no, 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 no. <laughs> drugs and music, baby. So <laughs> and like, I, they were like, we, we had you go, you were going to the dark ages and you, you saw the Pharaohs and the Pharisees and you, you got to like, you got, you got to go everywhere. No, no. I mean, I, now I, I'm I just going to imagine that what he did next was use this device to create the quantum leap agency. <laughs> and like, you know, what, like once he figured out how to steer the thing, he was just like, "I know what to do." <laughs> um, I also I wish that he just like grabbed the gizmo and was like, "Put me back in." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is where he's at his happiest. Like send them back. Yeah. Like that would but that would be quite lovely. That's a that, nice bit of sweet cool. moment. Yeah, if, like you know, like ever like it's good to have that anti-establishment teacher. But like, if he was just like, nah, I'm away. Here, yeah. you have got an A for your science project. I'm going back to the sixties where I belong. It would have been good to give him that moment. I think you could kind of take the synchronic approach of like mm. you experiment with locality and and uh, relativity. You know, like okay, well, if I do this, you know, because I mean, really, they just open up the arms, touch the little like electric strings. And then just go with the flow. But, like, there's never any, you know, you don't see him playing with the, the device and, like, figuring out, come on, that's, Christopher Nolan could do, like, a bang-up job with that. <laughs> Give it to someone else. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> I want to see this get rebooted, but I don't want it to be three hours long and inaudible. <laughs> no, we'll give it to Benson and Moorhead. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I like we've already workshopped the things about it that don't work. I mean, this thing writes yeah. itself. This is the second time in two days I've done this. This is this is fun. <laughs> Take a movie. I, yesterday was a movie from the '90s. I was like, this needs to be a miniseries because it has so many ideas that go nowhere. <laughs> There's a moment here that annoyed me because before Michael kind of leaves, Bob Roberts Roberts says to him, look, destroy this or get it, get rid of it. It's too dangerous. shouldn't be in human hands. He takes it back to Dawson Air Base and just puts it back under the ground. Drop that in a fucking volcano. Drop it in the sea. Don't just put it back for some other arsehole to find. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Although, like, I mean, that almost feels like if he tried to destroy it, like, at the garage... Mm -hmm. Like, if that was the ending, he's like, he's gonna destroy it because no one should have it. And by destroying it, he opens the power to, you know, to where it's unchecked by its cage that it's in. There's so many ideas pinballing around here right now. <laughs> Still, um, we get this borderline twee ending where he has grown to like people more than machines. That's literally all yeah. the scene does. And I don't know if I necessarily think that it needs to do anymore. And I would agree with you that I think it's like a slightly limp ending. But as presented, I think it kind of does what it has to do to get it over the line. He's okay with people knowing that his car broke down now. That's, That's it, yeah. I'm, I'm not embarrassed that I can't fix everything. That's the full extent of any learning <laughs> anyone does about themselves in this film. Happily ever after. Yeah. Yep. And that's us kind of yep. out on this, except for an end credits montage of Vinny just behaving like an absolute fucking asshole. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because it starts with like um that still frames from the actual film thing, which is yeah. very much a sitcom thing for me. Like mm -hmm. I always kind of associate that with being like, what happened in the end credits of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air if it didn't do outtakes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah that, but then it turns out that, and you're right. It's just it's like a Vinnie Arsel montage. You're right. Yeah, he's going up to girls with like a handful of hot dogs and like waggling hot dogs in their face and making dick jokes. And then he's calling other girls dykes because they won't talk to him. Like he gets an awful lot of airtime over those credits. Like even when it's not like footage of him doing stuff, 
it's stills of his face doing doing nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, I feel like we can call it the like the goodwill destruction montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although it does get some points back for having a song at the end, which is about the film. I mean, guys, we got Fisher Stevens. Let him cook. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so, just let him riff. See what happens. So he had just done Brother from Another Planet and the Flamingo Kid, and he was about to do Short Circuit. Because I was, I, you said that, I was like, oh yeah, maybe he like just had a huge thing. Like he had the burning in 81. Yep. But like, yeah, it's not like he was a huge star. Yeah. I mean, he probably became the biggest in his career from um, at that time. He's obviously gone on to do like a lot of directing and stuff like since then. But right. like at that time, Short Circuit was easily the kind of yep. turning point in his career, I would say. And it's a, a horrible performance when you look back on it. I want to end this on a piece of trivia about when this was released in Sweden. Okay. So obviously it was it was, it was released as my science project in English-speaking territories. When it got to Sweden, apparently the distributor was much more set on the link to it kind of like, I guess kind of piggybacking on the success of things like Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. Both fair. That they wanted to like draw that kind of, uh, I guess, causal line far more distinctively and thus, uh, this was released in Sweden under the name Time Busters. Don't hate that title no. um, for this film. Don't hate it because we kind of get this ragtag team together at the end who yeah. come together to put time in its place. Busting time. <laughs> Busting time. <laughs> Which I'm pretty um, sure is a movie. I think that that's cynical knowing what we know, but I think that on paper as a title, it's absolutely fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Z- zero problem with it at all. And with that, Andy, as you said, we are out on my science project. Do you want to offer your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, my first thought is that I'm going to try and get that theme tune from the end credits and put it at the end of this episode. My next That'd thought is, this is such a weird film, Adam. It's kind of a non-event in a lot of ways. Yep. And then like, there's, so, there's a lot of kind of cool stuff happens in the last 15 minutes, but the journey to get there is so weird and disjointed and almost kind of plodding. But do you know what? I quite liked it. I didn't mind it at all. Uh, it's weird that it ca- came out in a kind of weird time period when you did have things like, Mitch, like you mentioned, like Back to the Future, and I suppose things that are much more similar in tone, like the Manhattan Project or Weird Science. But I, I quite liked it. It's... it's an interesting thing about when it was released. Yeah. And I have not read about it at all. But like... You know, coming out in the mid '80s, you know, the corporations had taken over mm. film. You were starting, you know, Jaws had made a ton of money, Star Wars made a ton of money. Obviously, like companies realized yeah. that oh, we could make a ton of money with movies, uh, and so it is like ripping off these very uh, of the moment ideas mm-hmm. that you know were being developed around town. But you also still have people that were like working in the '70s and you know, and '60s, and like could make a movie that felt interesting yeah. and you know there was a tactileness to it and yeah it's just this weird movie that i don't think could exist any other time mm-hmm. yeah where yeah. nothing happens but it feels kind of cool you know sound like sound and fury signifying nothing but like very banal sound and fury <laughs> you know, i feel like if i had seen this when i was younger like i mean i'm i'm 40 so if i'd seen this like mid 80s late 80s that i would have like you i would have really loved this i would have loved Fisher Stevens' character, I'd be like, oh, he's yeah. so cool, he's like Styles out of Teen Wolf. I don't feel it was made for me as a 40-year-old man, but I think <laughs> if I'd seen it when I was in my, like, up till I was like 10 or 15, I would have been like, this is a cool film. Like, this is really cool. I think I think that's an astute observation to be able to make. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it speaks to the miracle of Gremlins too, that you can have a movie like that, that when you're a kid, it's just like, this is amazing. And then you're a 40 year old man and you're like, this is even more amazing now. Yeah. <laughs> because by um, my own admission, if you remember, wasn't a fan when I first saw Gremlins too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, um, Adam, what, Adam, what was it like for you coming back to this after so long? Yeah, it was a really interesting time capsule, you know, to, because when I think about like being that kid, watching this and watching mannequin and watching the random movies that like we had on tape or whatever or that would you know or like whatever the 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 handful of times we had cable that would come up like because i've actually been digging through hbo max trying to find the looney tunes movies that i watched <laughs> ad nauseum as a child but yeah like i try not to watch movies now with like a modern perspective mm-hmm. that were made you know in the in the past but I think that's wise yeah that being the express purpose of this yeah and also just thinking about like what informed my idea of what is cinema and what is a good movie and like it's just such a weird time and it's so strange to me that people mythologize it so much and it's like People are like, oh, I love 80s movies. And it's like, really? You love Soul Man, huh? So we've talked, <laughs> about, we've talked about Soul Man on this show before. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know that I had a real Proustian evening with it, mm-hmm. but it was just like, huh? Like, yeah, it, it, it has that feel that movies had then of, you know, this is a real place. You know, and that that we we've kind of lost with you know the advent of uh, digital yeah. effects, you know, now being used to create pole cloth. But yeah, it was still such a pleasant experience. I was also high, but That's fine. Like, <laughs> it was a pleasant experience to just Optimal. be like, like oh yeah, like this. I've definitely watched stuff that I regret more. <laughs> that I liked. Um, when you're picking something from 1985, that's just about fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the best you're gonna walk away from is I don't think worse of myself as a person. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was also a kid. Like, you're allowed to like stupid shit when you're a kid. That's Absolutely. the whole. That's the main thrust of this then, movie. That's the thing. Like, if I watched <laughs> this when I was of like when it, this came out, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have thought that it was stupid shit. I'd have thought this was deep, no. man. I'd have. I'd have been. Like, oh, it's, pro- it's proposing so many ideas. My, my tiny child's mind is blown. Like, I, I would have thought that this was like hardcore, intense sci-fi when I was that age. Well, you don't ask why when you're eight years old. You don't ask why. Like, why does he just like cars and not care about people? Mm. You just—they say he likes cars and not people. And you're like, all right, that's fine. fine. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> so uh, I honestly think yeah. that like that like the more you are able to still do that, the better. I've kind of realized this with a lot of the stuff that we've watched for this over the years is that like I have gotten so much better at being like this is this person and what they're all about, and me just being like okay, yeah, yeah. The idea of like when someone tells you who they are, listen to them. Yeah. Yep, and I'm just like okay, fine. I understand that now. What's next? Now it makes me think I should have been eight years old when I watched Prometheus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had a, I had a fine time with this, I would say, and I came away from it thinking that I probably wouldn't watch it again. And now, off the back of this conversation, I would say that I almost certainly will. And I think that that is probably just about as high a kind of compliment as I can give to things that I didn't love yeah. immediately. 
if nothing else, I thought that this was like a pleasing enough distraction when I watched it in the moment, and now I'll be like, I will probably make time to watch this again in the future. Yeah, no, um, I mean, and I, I assume Ted Sarandos listens to this podcast and 100%. will say, you know what, Netflix should do a miniseries, and then we'll have to watch it like a million times. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam, the last time we had you on the show in this room where I sit was uh, round about the time. In fact, it was exactly. Glasgow Fright Fest, where mm-hmm. a Ghostweights had its UK premiere. World premiere. World premiere. Yeah. Now, yeah. it's been a bit of a year for everybody for a lot of reasons. Because <laughs> I remember when you were here, we were joking about COVID and joking about the coronavirus. Yeah. It's no so idea. great that in the fullness of time, we turned out to be right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea how crazy it was going to be. But then, all that stuff aside, it's been a crazy year for you and for a Ghostweights. Yeah. And, of course, for you, Mitch, my dear. Oh. And here we are now, yeah. a year later, the film has picked up awards all over the place. I can see some behind you. It's now out mm-hmm. on an absolutely beautiful release from Arrow Video. Um, what a year, man. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. And I had a realization like a couple months ago, because it's it's very strange to me, but I had this whole personal journey with this movie mm-hmm. of like, you know, learning to have self-esteem and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and confidence. Um, and I, I realized at some point that like, oh, it was because like, making this movie taught me to trust my instincts. And that was kind of mm-hmm. the gateway drug to valuing myself but like i then when i was just like oh and like beyond that this is crazy like Mm -hmm. this is just a crazy kind of success story of a little tiny movie like this doesn't make sense to other people too not just (laughs) it it doesn't just not make sense to me yeah like i definitely didn't see any of this coming last time we talked (laughs) (laughs) i was immensely grateful for the experience in glasgow um and Greg had told me that they were talking about bringing it back for what would have been Fright Fest London, obviously sure. ended up being Fright Fest Digital. Um, but there was there was talk of that. And I know like Mike Hewitt, who is now the, the former head of marketing and publicity for Arrow, mm-hmm. you know, he had been there in Glasgow, he had seen the response. And I think there was a thought of like, well, let's make sure we're not just in like the one room where this happens. Mm-hmm. And so the, the response uh, in August, and then winning actor director picture from total film and then kind of picking those up again at scream fest and actor and picture at nevermore mcleod and i really were expecting to like self-distribute we were we figured we'd probably try to put it on prime Mm -hmm. uh and just fight for any inches that we could get and it just kept going well you know and then when when arrow did reach out and we we negotiated for a while they had already decided they wanted us to be their key title for the february launch mm-hmm. of arrow um we did not know that so <laughs> we didn't feel like it's like oh well we'll get this taken care of eventually and then they finished and like by the way you now have like no time so you know it completely took over my life and i'm i i, I recognize that physical media is dying so like i knew that i may never get to make another blu-ray so i really dove into this yeah. one and that's why we have eight caster crew interviews and three commentaries and outtakes and all this shit is just because I wanted to make a Blu-ray that I would want to buy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that has kind of been like, whether, you know, the, the initial production and, and the work that Margaret did and then working with Mitch on the score to fill out what the movie is now. And, you know, like McLeod and I like kept tinkering up until, you know, we were joking that like, or we were laughing that like when the movie went up on February 1st on Arrow, 
no one had seen that cut because we were still working. Wow. So like I replaced the song at the last minute and just all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, like the, when when I watched it on the auto player, there were parts yeah. of it that were surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, it just kept going well. Everything worked out, and you know now, yeah. I mean, there's stuff I can't talk about, but like yeah, I'm just immensely grateful. And like you know, like you guys were there at the start of this. You know, like I don't know if I if I seem different, but like when, when yeah. I was hanging out at your place, Andy, I was just like, I can't fucking believe any of this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> like this is so cool that I'm like hanging out with a couple guys in Glasgow talking about gremlins. Yeah, you, you, don't, seem, you don't seem any different to me. You seem to have taken all this uh, all this madness quite in your stride, which is good. I mean, one weird thing about it happening in 2020 is that like it does kind of feel like it might just be a very elaborate prank. Because it all happened on my laptop. <laughs> so it's like, well, this might all just be like a really elaborate lie. <laughs> Psych. Yeah. My mom uh, bought a copy of the Blu-ray on Amazon and I happened to be visiting. This was just like a few weeks ago. It's like we were all vaccinated. It's so like, all right, I'm going to travel down and like spend, you know, spend release day with her. And it shows up in that blue and white envelope that Amazon uses. And like, I'm not going to lie. It was just like, oh, it's a real movie. Like, there's just those little things. like, Or like seeing it on a shelf, which I still haven't done, you know, because I haven't been in a store in quite a while. Yeah. yeah, it has been a straight up bananas year. I got some writing done and then Arrow called and I wasn't able to do anything else. But like, there was this hope that like, well, maybe this goes somewhere. Yeah. And now it feels very likely that it's going somewhere good yeah uh which is just the coolest most ridiculous thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> well i thought um, i'm incredibly proud of both of you guys because i think uh, what you've thanks man thanks andy both done to i mean obviously uh the film existed in a form much before you came on board but it's incredibly gratifying to me to now have the blu-ray and like now knowing you adam and obviously knowing you somewhat well by now much working with mitch on this yeah. was really incredible I, I think i've said this before but like it was always kind of my hope that i would find a composer that would become a key and uh and continuing collaborator and in talking up with mitch about music it was so cool to uh talk about music by not talking about music yeah. and be like i don't know i'm a sad robot make that work somehow <laughs> <laughs> And he did, and he did it on like no sleep, <laughs> and he very rarely complained. Um, I love the know, fact that you didn't say never. Ten of ten would do it again. <laughs> cool, do it again. I mean, Thank you, you. you absolutely complained. Come on, I did complain one hundred percent. Yeah, I did. Yeah. He complained to but, me. Like, not as he much might as not you should to you, but he complained to me. Oh no, I complained to all of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I. I mean, I'm. I'm certain. <laughs> there's there's some people that i know i'm gonna meet and they're gonna be like oh you're that guy ah <laughs> no come on now <laughs> no i mean i met your parents and they were beautiful stuff I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah that's true yeah but, but both yeah. my parents looked in on the release day zoom party yeah yeah this is like what you hope the experience will be like outside of not being able to leave my fucking apartment yeah i you know i like that's the only thing is i did i i haven't really gotten the social experience of being a filmmaker mm. but everything else has gone pretty well all that stuff's overrated yeah. Adam. all that all that people people are overrated 
<laughs> if anything, like it's possible, it's arguable that like having this year where everything kind of got so pared back, it kind of strips away a lot of the kind of pomp and circumstance of things. Yeah, which that felt appropriate because I am Mister Deconstruction. So it is just like, when is a movie not a movie? Uh, <laughs> but yeah. No, it's it's been amazing, and I don't know what's next, but I definitely feel more prepared or equipped yeah. for it than I than I did a year ago. That feels like a win to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred yeah, yeah. percent. Adam, it has been so so good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much, man, and thank you for bringing this film into my life. <laughs> yeah, you're it's, welcome. It's, it's it's just another one that now I like I have an opinion about. It's one of those things and like sometimes, you know, like sometimes people pick things, maybe it's a slasher sequel and maybe it's something like that, and it's like, okay, I haven't seen that yet. I probably would have gotten around to it in my own time. Yeah. This is one of those am, moments, Mitch, where I say to you, When would you ever have got yeah, around to this film? A hundred percent. I am absolutely like it's not even like oh it's like i don't know if i ever would have made it to this i'm absolutely convinced i would never watch this if we weren't doing it for this conversation and actually like like even if i had come out the other side of this and been like that was an absolute aberration i'm still kind of like grateful for the opportunities to just dig things up and watch them that i would like under no other circumstances would have either discovered or looked at a personal choice and the fact that i had a good time with it is just kind of a nice bonus Yay. i mean you know i wouldn't have watched final destination 5 without you telling me to oh god it's so great though right yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was I mean, fun it's... those were the days when i actually had time to watch movies and we were just messaging about like scream four <laughs> yeah i oh, gotta really did commandeer that chat with all of my love for for, for later entries and franchises yeah <laughs> um adam where can people get you on social media on twitter at adam stovall a-d-a-m-s-t-o-v-a-l-l I, for a second i had to think about how to spell my own name that's great on instagram at not adam s the movie has its own Twitter account at a ghost waits. It has a website, a ghostweights.com. You can buy it or rent it. Rent it is pretty cheap. I think it's like six bucks on Amazon and iTunes and all that. But yeah, that's where I'm at. And I'm around. You can you can talk to me. I'm very tired, but I do try to respond when I can. So there you are, listeners. He's amenable to conversation. Yeah. <laughs> he might fall asleep in the middle of it, but he'll text back. Right, yeah. It's like, oh, is he mad? It's like, no, he's probably just asleep. No, and like, honestly, I've I've gotten to know so many really wonderful people on Twitter that I feel like is through you, through you know, through this kind of community. Mm. You know, I got yeah, it's it's been great. So no regrets. <laughs> good, good, cool. Good. Inevitably, we will see you back on here in circa six months' time. Yes, that would be lovely. <laughs> Hopefully, I have something some like really fun stuff to report. I am about to produce a short film. It's the first time I produced something I didn't write or direct. It's a yeah. Uh, how you feeling whole, about that? I feel good. It's really fun. It's a horror short about medical gaslighting. Interesting. Yeah. And it's really, like, I don't know. It's cool. Like, I mean, I spent my day yesterday writing contracts, uh, which is not a thing I ever thought I would do, but I actually really enjoy it. But yeah, like this, you know, it came about through another podcast and this has been a goal of mine. I, you know, I, I want to get to a point where I can help produce friends yeah. work and get stories out that I, I mm -hmm. think really need to be told and also just just be the producer that i wish i'd had because it was such a fight it was such a struggle to you know make this and like get to the point where i could even make something and then make it so yeah i'm just trying to kind of be the force for good that i want to see in the world <laughs> lovely lovely That's the spirit be the glitch you want to see in the matrix <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to have Adam back. 
that was an absolute delight, by the way. I just want to say that was that was a lovely time. It really was, wasn't it? I was kind of hoping that um, in the gap between his first and second appearances, we would have had another in-person guest. Yeah. Or have been able to record a mini-sode in the same room more than once. But here we are, you know, like, you take what you can get. Yeah, that's... that. Hopefully we'll be able to do that again soon. Like, I feel... Unless Glasgow continues to spiral into the depths of COVID lockdown 3... Uh, then uh, who knows? Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping that we can do it. I think it's going to be great when we can. That's what that's kind of what I keep thinking about. I don't think about when it's going to happen. I keep thinking about how good it's going to be when it does happen. You're going to get a hug. Yeah, I think that I think that like despite the fact that this is an audio medium, we should do it on mics. Well, we should hug on mic. Yeah. Okay. So all you'll hear is just like that kind of like that noise people make when they hug and that kind of like the clapping of each other's hands and each other's shoulders. Yeah, the the pattern, the pattern, our clothes ruffling together. And yeah, the bro pat. Yeah, just deep breathing as we inhale each other for the first time <laughs> over yeah. a year and inhale each other's <laughs> lockdown musk and our record and our record for the longest minisode is broken by a margin of 74 minutes <laughs> huge thank you of course to adam stovall the writer and director of a ghost waits you may know that that film is available on the auto player and now on blu-ray via auto video Yes, yes, and I, like Adam said himself, it's an ama- it is an amazing package, and I'm not just saying that because Adam's just on and you are still here. As no, it's it's, it's a crack. It's it's a crack, crack. It um, but we are back again very soon indeed. We're back, of course, on Monday with another mini-sode. Now, Nature Gone Wild is in our rear view at this point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we're going to have to figure out what the hell we're going to do next. Yeah, we'll have to figure it out, I'm sure, and we will get there. But we'll be doing all the usual stuff. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be playing Mitch's pitches. We'll be taking a look at your feedback, and we will, of course... Point you in the direction of Friday's main episode. Yeah. More fun stuff in coming as well. Yeah, yeah. And patrons, we've got a really busy week of recording this week, but we will be back with a double dunt next week. The fact that it's a busy week of recording, you'll kind of see the fruits of those labours down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We've, we've, We're planning we've some stuff. intentionally bundled some stuff together for that reason. Yeah, basically, for, for once... This isn't just because we've run out of days and we're disorganized. We do kind of know what we're doing this time. <laughs> as much as we ever do. As much as we ever do. If you want to get in touch with us, though, between now and Monday, you know what to do. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC. You can email Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. And you can, of course, join the conversation on our Facebook group slash Bad Film Club, The Chud Locker. Yeah. And guys, continue. please continue to get in touch and reach out to us. And it's, it's really lovely. And it? It still matters to us. It still matters a great deal to us. Yeah, I mean, like, our favourite thing about this is still hearing from you guys and seeing the way that you're interacting with each other and all that kind of thing. It really does give us a lot of boosts and has done over the mad 14 months that we've had. Yeah, for sure. It's particularly important to me at this time as well. So thank you very much, guys. Cheers. We will be back with another mini-sode on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chats. Goodbye. Bye, guys.
You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain, production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. <laughs>